0: G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au This week's sermon is part of our Follow the Saviour series, and it looks at Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. It's entitled, Following Humility, and it looks at the story of the widow's mite, and what it has to show us about following humility. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark, chapter 12, beginning at the 35th verse. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Jesus Jesus Christ. Christ. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Well, friends, as we dive into our sermon, please pray for me as I pray for you and as we dive into God's word. Loving Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are humble and gracious and kind and true. And Lord, as we open your word and apply it to our lives, we pray that it would be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's an old country song, Oh Lord, It's Hard to be Humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't bear to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. (laughs) To know me is to love me. I guess I'm one hell of a man. Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. (laughs) Humility is very hard to have and it's also very hard to define. One of the reasons is because as soon as you think that you're humble, you become proud and you're a humble person no more. Humility is hard to hold on to, let alone be. But today we're going to look about we're going to learn about following humility from Jesus and from the story of the widow's might. Over the last eleven weeks, we've been following Jesus' path towards the cross. He's finally reached Jerusalem where he spends his final week teaching in the temple courts. Last Sunday in Mark 12, we saw how people, a number of people, tried to trip Jesus up and undermine his authority as he taught. But we also saw how his wise comebacks affirmed his authority and silenced his critics. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' final public teachings Before his death, and what they have to show us about following humility. We're going to look at David's prophecy, the scribes' warning, and the widow's gift. So, after being pummeled with questions by the Pharisees, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the scribes last week, Jesus fires a question back in Mark 12 25. He says, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah? Is the son of David. Jesus is now pushing back, but he takes a very awkward tack. Why is he asking questions about the teachers of the law, the Messiah, and King David? Well, you see, King David was a figure who united people. Still today, the star of David adorns the flag of Israel. And the teachers of the law were teaching that God would send a king from David's line to restore the kingdom of Israel. Jesus is bringing up David to unite his listeners, but also to show them something about the Messiah and about humility. While everyone was waiting for a son of David, someone like King David, to come along... Jesus is showing us how David prophesied that God was going to do one better. The other day I was watching a video of um, Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali being interviewed at the same time. Two of the greatest boxers of all time in the same room. And of course the question was asked, who was greater? And uh, Muhammad Ali, um, he, he talked about their respective strengths, uh, but in perfect uh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee style, he dodged the question. Mike Tyson, however, responded. He said, I'm vain, and I know I'm great, but in this situation, he's got a list, so he said, in this situation, um, it's quite funny, um, in this situation, I must confess that Ali is the greatest of all time. Tyson was a great fighter, but he knew who was the greatest, just like King David knew that he was a great king. But in Psalm 110, he acknowledges that one greater is coming. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, King David knew that God's chosen Savior would be greater than him. And so Jesus quotes one of David's famous psalms in Mark 12:36. He says, "The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet." It's a quote from Psalm 110, which um, I've got a bigger section here. "Jesus' listeners would have known it well. It's a song about the judgment, justice and glory of God's forever king, the Messiah. And specifically, it's a conversation within the Godhead, within the Trinity. The Lord, that's God the Father, said to my Lord, that's Jesus. And David is watching this conversation, sit at my right hand. Jesus is saying this to his listeners to reaffirm that the Messiah is not just a son of David. He's God's right hand man someone who God himself also calls Lord, someone in very nature God. The Messiah won't just be a descendant of David, he will be God with skin on. Here Jesus is peeling away the layers and letting people who are hungry for a king like David to come back know that someone greater than David is right in front of them. While all the Jewish leaders are trying to undermine Jesus and make him submit to their authority, Jesus is humbly but clearly claiming utmost authority. Friends, this is why following Jesus is not an optional extra in your life. Some might say, oh, well, Jesus is a great bloke, a great leader among many, but, but, but I mean, you can, you can pick him or choose him or leave him. But Jesus here is saying No. The Messiah, that's me, folks, is God in the flesh. The end of Psalm 110, which is on the screen, says, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on his day of wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. Jesus is saying, I'm the Savior I'm the guy who will crush pretenders to the throne. I will judge the nations and make all wrongs right. I'm humble now, but one day God himself will exalt me. Jesus is Lord. You can either accept this statement or reject it, but you can't sit on the friend's friend. One day we will all appear before Jesus, and every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord now is the time to choose how we relate to him. Now, if Jesus' questions about David were a jab at his opponents, the next line is a haymaker. Remember, Jesus is in the temple courts. He's in the center of power and prestige. And he can see the teachers of the law in white robes. I feel really ironic wearing my white alb um, while saying this. Um, But he can see teachers of the law wafting past him. Now, I say wafting because the teachers of the law wore, wore long white prayer tassels, most common Jewish people would have worn colored clothes and probably some form of robes, but the teachers of the law wore these beautiful, majestic white and blue garments. The longer your shawl, sure, the better. And the custom for everyone but laborers was that whatever you were doing, if a teacher of the law walked by, you would stand up and you would greet them. Teachers of the law didn't have their own income. They relied on the generosity of others. Now in Luke 8, we see that Jesus also relied on the generosity of others, particularly well-to-do women. So if Jesus was happy to live the same way as the teachers of the law, why does he warn us against them? Jesus warns us against proud religion. The teachers of the law would take the best seats at public events and loved attention. They lived for status rather than for the glory of God. But more seriously, Jesus tells us that they gobble up widows' houses. Now, throughout the Bible, God commands his people to care for three sets of people, widows, orphans, and foreigners. He tells us to care for these people because these people didn't have anyone else to care for them. Widows didn't have family and children, orphans didn't have parents, and foreigners didn't have social structures in the land that they come to to care for them. Writing around the time of Jesus, uh, the Roman historian Josephus tells the story of a Jewish scoundrel who persuaded a widow called Fulvia to give a lot of her money to the temple in Jerusalem. The guy, however, took the gifts for himself and his crime shocked the whole world, not just the Jewish world, but the whole Roman world. Jesus says these men will be punished most severely. While the teachers of the law have been trying to expose Jesus, he exposes them and warns them how God's justice is coming upon them. And in opposing them, he puts himself on the irreversible path to the cross. And this brings us to the widow's gift. Now remember, this is Jesus' final public teaching. He's in the temple courts. He's teaching on authority. And you'd expect him to finish on a high. You'd expect him to say something like, Okay, folks, I'm God. I deserve all authority because the kingdom, the power, and the glory are all mine. So bow down and worship me right now or else. But he doesn't do that. Instead, Mark tells us what he does. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Jesus and his disciples are still in the temple courts, and here we learn that they're in the women's court. The women's court was where the treasury was. Now, in the temple, there were many sections or courts. As you approach the Holy of Holies, which is at the center, sorry, you can't really read the writing, but there's the Holy of Holies in the center. And this is the walls of the the temple. It was a huge structure. It wasn't wasn't like a church. It was more like um, a cathedral or um, a, a basilica. So in the temple is the Holy of Holies. That's where God is said to have dwelt. In the outer courts... This is the court of the Gentiles. That's where you and I could go, and we could pray, and we could give our offerings. But as Gentiles, as non-Jews, we were not allowed any further in. So you'll see there's an inner sanctuary, and there's an inner wall. The temple of the women, that's, that's around where my laser is right now. That's where you would go, and um, women, children, and Jewish men uh, could go, and they could give their offerings to God. If you wanted to go further, you had to be a guy um, and so you'd be able to go into this section um, which is sort of the inner courts and then there was another inner court where only priests could go and then only the great high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and that only once a year. But Jesus' focus is not on the Holy of Holies. He's focused on a humble act happening in an outer court. Most people of the time would make a great deal of their generosity. They'd go to a priest who'd ask them about their gift and publicly announce the amount and what it was for. Imagine me sitting behind the offering box today um, <laughs> and, and, and saying, how much are you giving? And what is your gift for? <laughs> I think there'd be a mutiny. <laughs> but that's what they do. The priest would sit there behind these big offering boxes um, for all offerings. Um, maybe you were giving uh, an offering for harvest or maybe you were giving a temple tax or maybe you were giving a Thanksgiving offering. But there was one offering which the priest wouldn't announce and that was the freewill offering. People could discreetly and privately go... Um, to these offering boxes. Now I say uh, discreetly and privately because um, it wasn't very discreet. They were huge boxes about the size of a person uh, and they were called shofarim. They had a a big opening at the top and a a small thing at the bottom. Um, If you think of, do you remember at Maccas there used to be those things you could put coins into and the coin would go spinning round and into the bottom? This was for safety. It was to take care of the money so no one would reach in. But it was also um, a way to amplify your giving. There was no paper money at the time, and so you could only give coins. And so people would throw coins in, and they'd go, ding, 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 and there'd be this big sound. And so you could tell how much someone was giving by the sound of their offering. And so most people are ignoring this humble widow, But she comes and she puts in these two thin silver coins that wouldn't have made much of a racket. And Jesus tells his disciples that he sees her heart. He sees how much this gift to God costs her. It costs her everything. All she has to live on. Jesus tells us his disciples, that this woman has given more into the treasury than anyone else. This is humility, the high point of what it looks like to follow the Savior. Jesus takes the authority he's just claimed and uses it to lift up someone else. You see, greatness is not about who you look down on. Greatness is about who you are lifting up. Friends, this widow has so much to teach us about following Jesus. Firstly, it shows us that giving is proportional. Each Sunday, we all take up an offering, and all of us give different amounts. Some of us put money in the offering box or maybe one day we'll go back to having an offering plate which we'll pass around. Um, some of us give online. Some of us have no money and uh, we give all our time and energy. But God sees all your gifts, friends. And for God, giving isn't about how much money you give. It's about the attitude with which you give back to God who has already given everything you have. The second thing we need to see from this woman is the trust that she places in God. She gives everything she has to live on and puts her life in God's hands. She doesn't know where her next penny or her next meal is going to come from, but God does. Friend, when you live with that type of humility, God does amazing things. There is no room for pride in this woman's heart because who is her ultimate reality? It's God. She trusts her whole life to him. Friends, so many of us put our trust in our wealth or in our ability to provide for ourselves, but here Jesus exemplifies this woman for the trust in God she displays by giving everything, knowing that when we give God everything, God can move mountains through our small acts of faith. Commentator James Edwards says, uh, this woman's selfless act is not showcased primarily for its moral value, exposing the gulf between her humble piety and the pretense of the scribes, or to unmask tests and the, the tests and traps of the Sanhedrin, although it does that. Rather, as verse 43 reveals, Summoning his disciples, the chief purpose of the widow is as a model of discipleship. Jesus says, This woman lay down her whole life. In true humility, she responds to what Jesus is about to do for her. In 1884, a shabbily dressed girl was found sobbing outside of a Sunday school in Philadelphia. The pastor, Russell Conwell, came past her and asked him what the matter was. It turned out that the Sunday school was full and little Hattie Mae Wyatt and others came and insisted she be given a weekly place in the class. Hattie died two years later and Conwell asked, was asked to take her funeral. Conwell a purse, the girl had obviously rummaged from a bin. In it they found 57 cents with a note scrawled in childish handwriting. This is to help the little church get bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. She had saved for two years and collected 57 cents. Conwell took the purse into the pulpit and challenged his church to build a bigger Sunday school, which they did. But news of Hattie May's generosity grew. Two years later, a real estate agent walked into Conwell's office and offered him a prime piece of land upon which would later be built Temple Baptist Church with room for 3,500 people, Temple University, the Good Samaritan Hospital, and the Sunday school facility for thousands of children. Conwell thanked the man uh, for the offer, but said he, the church couldn't possibly afford it. The agent said, OK, I'll sell it to you for a deposit of 57 cents. You can read this story in Conwell's book, Acre of Diamonds. Friends, are we ready to humble ourselves and make Jesus our Lord, just like King David did? Are we prepared to heed Jesus' warning, to resist pride, the pride of this world, and lift ourselves up? Are we prepared to follow the widow and had he and humbly give our everything to God, knowing that he can do infinitely more than we ask or imagine? Now, I've, friends, I know I'm speaking to some of the most generous people I've ever met. Our church gives so liberally and generously. And thanks to our parish council and our treasurer, we're in a very good financial place. But, friends, we need more than money. We need your time. We need your energy. We need your ministry of presence here at church every single Sunday. Because discipleship is about whole of life. So friends, I encourage you in this time, after this sermon, to spend some time in prayer and think about your widow's might. Think about what God is calling you to give. It may be financial, but maybe it's of your time. Maybe it's of your Sundays. Maybe it's your volunteering. Let's follow Jesus' humility and give our lives to God today.